Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 224. I'm your host, Brian. Joining me this evening, Mac. And this episode is brought to you by the letters Q and H, the number four, and the logical fallacy ad hominem. <laughs> okay, okay. And we have Mad Cat. Being confused by the ad hominem. Ad hominem. I can't even say it over so... It's, uh, it's, it, ad hominem means an attack on ground corn. <laughs> uh-huh. oh, I, I, thought, I thought it was a, a, a type of uh, ancient human ancestor. <laughs> and, that, of course, and that, of course, is the dumbass himself. Here I come to save the day. <laughs> Mighty Mouse is on the way. <laughs> yep. So let the trumpet players play. <laughs> Boy, how's everybody doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Ian's, of course, not here again. Until nobody hit the last line on that. What? (laughs) I was doing great, but until nobody hit the last line on that. Okay, try it again. We'll try it again. Let the trumpet players play. Mm -hmm. No, I got. I don't got it. I don't know. (laughs) It's been too long for me. I'm sorry. For Mighty Mouse is here to stay. For Mighty Mouse is here. Do you think Mighty Mouse can be a Superman? Oh, that's a good question. We should put that mm-hmm. on the set that up and send it to the versus guys. On no, I, I thought mm-hmm. Mac might catch that. It's straight out of Stand by Me. Mm. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Of course Never not. Seen Superman's a real guy. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. <laughs> I think it was something like that. I don't remember. That actually sounds pretty familiar now that you mention it. <laughs> I thought if somebody was going to get that, it was going to be Mac. Yeah, unfortunately. No, it's been too long since I've seen Stand By Me. Okay. Never seen it. That's that, you know, It is a very good movie. I, I really... Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what else is a good movie based on one of King's works? is, is it, it's His short stories, they do fantastic jobs on. Um, yes. Hearts in Atlantis is a really, really good film. you got to admit, the best film they ever did off of his work is Running Man. Oh. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> true. That is true. <laughs> I love that movie. It is so bad. Speaking of which, yeah, it chapter two, the trailer's up for that. Oh, I haven't. Yay! Okay, all right. Well, good. Do we have anything else going on? Well, just went through the week going kitty horror. Yeah, that's what I was hearing. Yeah, I I spent the week uh, spoiling the ending of Endgame for everybody, and, and uh, I told them no. the ending is credits. Is credits? Oh God! <laughs> That's what it is. I get it. Yeah, it. and that happens with a lot of movies. Yep, all it is is credits. Right, all except for the Man on the Moon, right? Because didn't they do the credits at the beginning? Mm, I don't Maybe, remember that. But, I, I actually never saw that movie. But at the end of Endgame, it's it's credit credits. Yeah, uh, that's true. Which is you know surprising. The uh, a lot that's of the older. Eaten. Well, they didn't have a teaser for. They didn't have a teaser for. That's the joke. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's endings, no teaser. Yep, yeah, that was the yep. All right, everyone sitting there watching is like, "Where's the teaser?" For those of you who haven't seen it, Batman dies in Endgame. <laughs> yes, he does. Yep, <laughs> says the guy who didn't see it. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, nope. no, I, I, I haven't seen it. Okay, no. there you go. Okay, um, I, I haven't even seen uh, Infinity War yet. Uh, Been meaning to get on that. You're waiting. Oh, you're, you're waiting till it becomes a classic. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Oh, sure. Yes. That makes sense. You can watch that on Netflix. <laughs> um, they might have taken it off Netflix. Really? Yeah, I think they took a lot of the movies off as as we got closer to the movie coming out. Hmm. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm lying. You might be. All right. Anyway, it's probably time to move on. And Mad Cat, why don't you go ahead and tell uh, us what time uh, it is? Yes. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> it is time for Ian and Dumbass's masturbation moments. Brought to you by the Empire. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's masturbation moment. Brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Well, this this time it is brought to us by the Dumbass, and it's all about Masturbation Month again. It's like this happens every year. <laughs> it does. It's gen- <laughs> generally around this same time, too. I, I think this is the only time of year that, that Republicans masturbate. They need to dread doing it year-round. Uh, yes, it's been <laughs> happening every year since 1995. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit last year, about uh, National Masturbation Month. This, mu- this time, uh, I decided to do a little bit of a deeper dive into it, uh, okay, look into uh, uh, how it's, uh, more about how it started and what's going on there. Um, Did you feel so like we've you actually got um, We've actually got National Masturbation Month and National Masturbation Day. Now, when, when this started, it was just National Masturbation Day, and that was May 28th. Um, but uh, as it's gone on, they've actually declared the entirety of May to be National Masturbation Month. Um, so you'll see both of those actually still floating around. People on the 28th will say Happy Masturbation Day, um, and uh, the entirety of May is ma- masturbation, National Masturbation Month. Okay, and, now, uh, does masturbation get in the way of outdoor fucking? <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> uh, 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 if you masturbate outside, that's a masturbation is a type of sex. Okay. Um, therefore, um, if you go by Jonathan Colton's first of May, outdoor fucking starts today. Uh, you can go outside and masturbate, and you will be observing uh, the first of May. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. I was just checking. And the planetary dumbass. I, I was going to ask. Uh, are, are you uh, are you boning up on this because you don't feel like you have a firm grip on it yet? <laughs> oh no, my my grip is firm. <laughs> uh, well, but that could be a problem. You don't want to be over firm. Yeah, you're you're looking for something. You're looking for uh, firm yet sensitive, I believe. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you do have to have a balance there. Um, but um, as I was saying, uh, this was started. In 1995, by a San Francisco-based sex toy and education stop called Good Vibration. And this was in response to the 1994 uh, resignation of Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders after she suggested at a United Nations World AIDS Day conference in 1994 that uh, masturbation is something that's natural and should be taught about in schools. Uh, the big uproar over that uh, caused her to have to step down. And the Good Vibrations shop said, enough is enough. Uh, we got to spread the word that uh, teaching about masturbation and masturbation itself is not a bad thing. Well, and this happened under Bill Clinton. And let's, I mean, let, let's yeah, be fair. Yeah, that Bill was Clinton- also the era when uh, people actually still listened to Rush Limbaugh. So he was a big part of getting her, uh, getting her in trouble too. That could be, but yeah. Bill Clinton had asked her to to step down. Unfortunately, you know he he gave in to the the pressures that be, and 
you know, he asked for that resignation. She didn't just step down after saying it. She was she was basically forced out. Now, um, I've I've been uh, as part of this, I've been looking up like the history of sex education in schools, and I'm going to go into that a bit later. But uh, I wasn't able to figure out exactly when uh, masturbation started being um, taught as a natural part of sexuality in U.S. schools. I remember uh, here in Ontario uh, having sex education back in the '80s, and I remember them clearly mentioning masturbation. Really? Yes. I can't. I don't remember if that was brought up in my sex education or not. I wasn't there that day. <laughs> Mac, back when they were chiseling out this stuff in, in stone tablets, did, did they teach you about masturbation? Not that I recall, but then, of course, that was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Mad Cat, uh, you, you said that day. Was that, was that just, were you just being glib, or was it just like one day of uh, sex education in your time? Not when... Uh... When they did the sex education, it was only for um, not even one day. It was a couple hours of watching this stuff. And I got in trouble for some stupid reason, probably because of someone bringing uh, magazines into... Oh, no, I brought the magazines in. You were the one who was <laughs> stupid enough to open them. Uh, probably because someone opened up magazines at the school and got me in trouble by pointing out that I... Brought in magazines. <laughs> Wait, no, okay. Can can I point? Can I, can we go back to something here? The the magazines. Didn't you give dumbass a rash of shit for basically doing the same thing? Yeah, I was just about to say I didn't know this story about you, and I guess we're more alike than I thought that way. <laughs> oh shoot, that was a different cousin. Why is ah. my brain doing this? I'll go back to sleep. <laughs> Wait, I don't understand. It, d- d- so- it was funny, but it it wasn't real. Wait, what oh, wasn't okay, real? Then. But that was oh. the other cousin who got me in trouble. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not All right. Oh, okay. He got me in trouble for getting the books out to the out to camp. Right, but my, I was but, supposed to make but, but not. My my point is is that dumbass got in trouble for the same thing. You both ha- are, are 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 guilty of uh you know of spreading pornography around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a well-known pornographer. <laughs> well, you, you know, in, in today's current climate, if you were here in the U.S., I think you could actually be put on a sex offender registry for that. Oh, probably. Okay, move on. Let, I'm not wrong that. about no, that. No, you're not wrong about. You're not wrong. That's sad. In fact, uh, YouTube once uh, gave me a community violation ding for <laughs> spreading pornography for a video that I had uh, set private. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I looked it up. Apparently, they can uh, they they can go in. It doesn't matter whether you have your the video unlisted or set to only certain people can see. And a YouTube employee can go into your account, look at that video that you that is very private to you, and they can say you're spreading pornography. Uh, you're, you're that video is being taken down. Yeah. No, they can't. And and they're a private company and. And there is no secrets from them. I mean, private private doesn't mean anything when, when it comes to the company that's holding the data. No. So you're telling me YouTube employees can take a look at your privates? Yep. Yes. yes. Yep, they can. So, and so can Facebook They can, they can look at them willy-nilly. So can Facebook and they employees. Can, they can look at your uh, Facebook and everything else, too, yeah, yeah. to see if you've been saying anything that uh, just is not good for YouTube as well. Nothing is private on the Internet, people. Nothing. Nope. <laughs> Nothing is private Nothing. on the internet. All right. Anyway, we, we, let's move on with the actual content. I'm sorry. Did you derail? <laughs> I said totally. We have content. 
Uh, he has lots yes, of content. I, I, was, I, I was wondering about. Uh, I was wondering about um, the the history of this in the United States, and like, I guess um, it, uh, it's a little piecemeal about uh, the way it happened. I know here in Ontario, like I said, uh, we were v- very briefly taught that masturbation was something that was natural. People touched their genitals in. I believe in a, in a video in sex education class, but um, uh, it, it was it was good information, and um, I just kind of assumed that this was the kind of information that other people were getting at the time. But I guess that wasn't the case so much in the United States, and uh, people had like as far ahead as 1994, people had a huge problem with the idea masturbation should even be mentioned in sex education classes. Uh, yeah, the well, it's because it ain't natural. It isn't natural because if it was natural, then, you know, monkeys and parrots and dogs would do it. <laughs> and we know that's not true. Yeah, oh, of course. No, it's the Puritans, right? I mean, it's, 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 it, it, this, this stuff goes back to, you know, religious dogma. And we're, we have a lot of that here in the States. And every state is different as to what they can and cannot teach. Remember, we've covered this before. New Mexico, they don't, it doesn't have to be truthful information when they're teaching about sex ed. <laughs> they could be, it could be lies. They could make shit up. <laughs> it, it, and that's the law. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, as you know, there's a long history of it. Uh, even, um, back in, uh, Freud, uh, Freud. <laughs> <laughs> Freud, uh, th- Freud's theory of sexual development. That was a Freudian uh, slip. It- <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> I thought Freudian slip was what he wore under his Freudian dress. I thought it was doodle. So Freud ha- Freud's theory of sexual development posited that uh, both masturbation and clitoral orgasms were infantile. Um, and uh, it, like even before that, uh, uh, uh People were that the uh, late 1800s uh, anti-masturbation was a booming market, you know, with uh, anti-erection alarms, penis cases, sleeping mitts, and hobbles to prevent girls from spreading their legs. That's incredible. I, I just I recently bought a book on uh, Audible, and I haven't read I haven't read it yet. It's called "Tell Me What You Want," and the sample talked about a lot of stuff that Freud had said about sex and stuff like that, which is why I, I bought the book, and so. Yeah, Freud was Freud is a huge problem on sexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, he he was his, his views were uh, not outlandish for the time. The struggle to uh, naturalize masturbation has been a very long one in our society, and it's still uh, hard going. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't right. meant as a joke, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have you looked up double entendre in the dictionary? Yeah, once or twice. <laughs> we'll double her entendre. Oh, uh, many people, of course, uh, know the the classic crusader in this respect, uh, Sylvester Graham. Uh, uh, I have a quote from him. <clears throat> I'll do some sort of an old fashioned uh, preaching type voice to prevent the immense evils of self-pollution therefore in our boys and students they should always subsist on plain simple unstimulating vegetable and water diet and care should be taken that they do not eat too fast and are not excessive in quantity they should never be kept too long in time too long a time in a sitting confined or inactive posture they should never sleep on feathers Amen. 
I thought that uh, I thought that that, 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 was, that was actually supposed to be cornflakes. You know, um, interesting note about uh, cornflakes. Uh, um, this was uh, his uh, lecture on chastity in 1834. He, he made cornflakes uh, supposed like from wheat flour that was uh, supposed to supposed to not uh, inflame your lust because it was plain and everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, but. Um, uh, Graham, uh, if he were alive today, he would be horrified that um, the the modern version of his cracker is made with the very white flour that he actually blamed for increasing young people's excitability <laughs> and sensibility. Really? Yes. Okay. But if it increased their sensibility, then there's no problem. Wait, so what, what, what was it? <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think back then sensibility meant more uh, sensuality to him. It could be. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. So what were the, what was the cracker made of when he had it made? You know, but he, but uh, he's I, railing. I think against... it was whole wheat flour. Okay, so he's railing against uh, bleached white flowers. Right. Okay. So yeah, um, basically, uh, back in Graham's time. Masturbation was just a huge nocebo, and uh, if you don't under, uh, know what a nocebo is, it's basically the opposite of a placebo. Placebo is something that uh, you, you, you think will uh, help you, and uh, therefore it seems like it does. Uh, nocebo is the opposite. It see, uh, you think that it'll harm you, and therefore it seems like it does. Graham, uh, I'm sorry. Graham warned uh, audiences that self-pollution was responsible from everything for everything from warts and constipation to insanity and death. And we've gone over before a lot of the uh, 1800s uh, claims about uh, the things masturbation will do to you. Yeah, we like to cover that topic. So, <laughs> yeah. well, I with all the different things, uh, eyes going bad, hair growing in the palm of your hands depletion of the body due to depletion of semen. We talked about that one, but at that point it's, it's a pretty much, I love the word by the no the way, a nocebo for everything. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> in my research, I discovered that um, uh, Jocelyn elders was not uh, the first uh, official to be uh, uh, fired or, uh, have stepped down on the basis of sex education in schools. Um, for this first hat came up in uh, 1892. There was a resolution that called for moral education in schools. And in Chicago in 1913, the, they were the first city to implement sex education for high schools. Um, and that didn't last very long because the Catholic Church uh, came out, launched a campaign against it. And they uh, forced uh, Ella Flagg Young, the superintendent of the schools at the time, to resign. Mm. Yeah, this it's so contentious. I mean, and it shouldn't be, right? I mean, it's just we. we well, it, is it control? Well, is it, it um, yeah. is a lot of it about control? Absolutely, right. It's always been about control because the religion founded early on. You control their, you control somebody's sexuality. You control the person, right? Because it's so ingrained and so natural that you have to make it feel like it's unnatural to control it. And and they've been very successful. Mm. Too successful. <laughs> Much too successful. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Anyway, sex education started to get rolling again during World War One. that they were concerned about soldiers uh, getting syphilis and gonorrhea. So they started to slowly roll out uh, like public health initiatives 
and uh, they, they would um, they started off like showing uh, soldiers uh, these images of for using a, a machine called a stereo motorgraph. Uh, show slides of syphilis and gonorrhea organisms and uh, talk to them about symptoms of the disease and stuff like that. Uh, the actual earliest uh, sex education film, film, it was called Damaged, and it warned soldiers about the consequences of syphilis. In the film, a man has sex with a prostitute the night before his wedding. He catches syphilis and then passes the disease to his newborn baby, after which he commits suicide. So really a lot of fear-mongering in that one. Yeah. Um, mm. But then things kind of kept on snowballing from there. There's a lot of stuff that I uh, won't go too much into. Uh, there's a, a lot of activists uh, talking about uh, uh, worries and doubts on students uh, because of uh, they lacked simple knowledge about this kind of thing. And uh, during the 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, things started to get rolling. Teachers started becoming trained, and then the uh, medical director of the time, uh, Planned Parenthood, founded the Sexuality Information and Education Council in the United States, or CIECUS, um, and they, they were set up to challenge the hegemony of the American Social Hygiene Association, which was formed uh, earlier, um, and they were more dominant uh, in the sex education curriculums. And it became more of a political issue during the 60s and 70s when uh, the religious conservatives started to just go into force and uh, release pamphlets entitled stuff like, Is the schoolhouse the proper place to teach raw sex? That's, a, that's just a fun line to say, I think. <laughs> I, you know, I think that they, yeah. should keep, I think they should keep sex education in the brothels where, it, where it's traditionally been. Hmm. But uh, at the time, uh, sex education was uh, accused of teaching the values of Marxism and other amoral, nihilistic, nihilistic philosophies, as well as venereal disease. And um, there, there were a lot rumors rampant about that uh, in sex education instructors were forcing students to be homosexuals or stripping them naked and having them have sex in front of their classes, which uh, brings back, of course, that meaning of life scene. But the, yep. yeah, the meaning of life. Um, I love that one. <laughs> There's no reason to go stampeding straight toward the clitoris. Give her a kiss, boy. <laughs> uh, that that was a good uh, a good scene there, yeah. So yeah, um, uh, modern sex education pretty much grew out of the uh, AIDS epidemic of the uh, early '80s. It's progressed until then, and uh, we've already gone over the 1994 Jocelyn Elders thing. And I, I think it's uh, still a case in uh, the United States that um, sex education is kind of spotty in quality, depending on the, the state that you're in. It, de yeah, um, it, does de it depends on the region that you're in. And, and we've covered this. Like California has fairly good comprehensive sex education. And when you do that, you see unwanted pregnancies fall, right? And and when you make sure that people can get condoms and understand how to use them, we see pregnancy fall. It's this abstinence-only stuff that is ridiculous, and and it's re and, and, and it's counterproductive for several reasons. One, when when you tell somebody not to do something, <laughs> let, let's face they it, they want to know why. They want to know why, and they're far more interested in doing it. Where if you cover all the pieces about it, people have sex later. 
and are, and, are, and uh, you know are better protected. We we we've seen that documented um, in case after case, particularly in California, where they where they had really good sex have really good sex education uh, compared to Texas, right? Who wants to make sure that you can't get a get an abortion and that you are you know punished for for having sex out of wedlock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Texas is well, and uh, is and the sad thing is that according to Planned Parenthood numbers, um, fewer young people than ever before are receiving any formal sex sexual education. Yeah. So, and- yeah, but but the whole problem with the uh, the whole problem with that educating people to make a good choice is that 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 that's not moral. <laughs> you can't educate them to make a good choice but- because. Here's the that thing. Would them, that would give them free you will, you, and uh, you just you can't do that. Well, nobody has free will, so doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can't. I mean, it isn't even about telling them how, what what's the best choice. It's giving the information and letting them know what the consequences of the choices are, and and then letting them make a choice because they they still might make a bad choice but they're far less likely to make a bad choice if they have all the facts well you hope that that's the case right if they understand all the different you know diseases that you can get if you understand how pregnancy happens and if you understand how condoms work and you understand all of these things right then they can make an informed choice about whether or not they want to have sex if yeah. you don't give them any of the information now they're now they're making an uninformed choice and that's where we see the problems with with uh, you know absence only education is that they don't teach them everything it's not comprehensive they just teach them don't fuck right yeah. and and shaming people for the natural feelings they they're having in their bodies just doesn't work well and shaming people no. never works no Shaming people, yeah, for anything, right? Basically, yes. And 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 we and we can point to this in many different stories that we've done, and we can point to this in some of the upcoming stuff on this show that shaming actually creates more problems. Mm. Yeah, really definitely. Does. If you if you read or uh, listen to any of the speeches by Brene Brown, the uh, shame researcher, um, she she makes that very clear. Brene Brown, I actually don't know who she is. But uh, I should probably look her up. Renee Brown. She has some TED Talks. Okay. Yeah, but uh, regarding the whole thing about uh, the regarding the whole thing about leading to communism, you know, a, a real good true thing about this country is if you want people not to do something, if you want to smear something good, you paint it red. Yeah, I mean, I, is that still the case? Uh, I don't think it's. I don't think it's as prevalent, but it's it's. It left a big, it left a big stain that was, uh, you know, it left a big stain that got taught to even kids that are growing up now because that's what their parents got taught by their parents. So there's still a big stim, there's still a big stigma about communism. Hmm. Of I, course, you know, communism in this case is just a red herring. <laughs> I that's true. Here, here's the problem: is that I don't have this association at all with with the, with the idea of painted red. Yeah, I didn't. I I don't know why I didn't grow up with that, but I I don't I don't know people who. Uh, well, I know you, but yeah. but we are different generations, aren't we? We are different generations, but that doesn't mean that there are not people of your generation, you know, who were <coughs> not raised by a teacher. That uh, okay. didn't get that. Okay. You know, you okay. know, uh, okay. we're, we're talking about point. communism, right? But 
Um, yeah, for me, uh, I, I when I when I was young, I never uh, never really knew what communism. People didn't really talk about communism or anything. I, I guess it was like more during the '60s and '70s when it was like really scary. Um, mm-hmm. But like by by the time I was growing up and in school, like nobody was really scared of nuclear war all that much. I mean, like I suppose there was a little bit floating around out there, um, but. Um, I never really had it hammered into me at all that, uh, oh, the Reds are going to come and invade us or anything like that. Whereas in Sault Ste. Marie, we were taught that there was the possibility of someday Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario and Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan being blown up because of the locks. Yeah, see, by the 80s, when, you know, when I was in elementary school and stuff like that, we talked about the Russians, but it was far different, you know. You know, I, I got I always knew that they were they were they were kind of the bad guys, but that was I guess that was the Cold War. Yeah. And, and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the same um kind of well, fear. At, at that point we didn't have quite the same level of fear that they had agents infiltrating every aspect of our life and and waiting to uh waiting to to snag us basically. Mm. Yeah, McCarthy era type thinking. Well, you think it's because I was raised by a teacher that that that. Well, I'm saying that that gave you an advantage. Okay. Yeah, your your mom is, uh, you know, she's she's a fairly she's a pretty smart lady. Yeah, she, uh, no, about, I, I, about I mean, different things I, I, on certain things, right? But but my mom is very much into conspiracy theories and and some stuff like that, where her where or smart people go to have special knowledge if you will right <laughs> i mean uh people who are into conspiracy theories are generally pretty smart uh, yeah yeah, I, yeah that, I, or is that just what they want you to think oh god <laughs> all right are we ready to move on we 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 really diverged there yeah i've uh, yeah, yeah. Kinda, i covered all the topics that i had marked down okay good well that but this is this is yours again brady bunch episode fuels campaign against vaccinations marsha marsha yes. marsha <laughs> this is yeah this is one of the old brady bunch episodes uh episode entitled is there a doctor in the house um and uh, this episode ha- uh, has been being used by anti-vaccinationists because um, it, it essentially uh, paints measles in a much more rosy light uh, than uh, is actually the case. And um, this was, I think, back in the 60s, was it? Mm, yeah, 60s, 1969. Um, th- this episode came out in 1969. Um, and basically, uh, the, the episode... Um, uh, Peter gets sent from home from school with measles, and uh, um, then the other kids all develop it, and they're upset that they can't go out. But they decide to make the best of it and have fun and do stuff like uh, uh, coloring each other's dots and stuff like that. And they're they're all laughing and having a great time. And the anti-vaccinationists are like, "See, see, it wasn't that bad. Even in their time, they recognize that it wasn't that bad." <laughs> Oh my God! So my it's funny that you should say that because my sister has um she works for a kind of a religious a lot of uh the company's not religious but it has a lot of religious people working in it and she she sent me one earlier this week she um about this guy that she she constantly telling me about this religious guy and he he what he said was that he's the Nietzsche guy is what we call him um uh has. Let's see, hasn't vaccinated his children and told people yesterday that no one has ever died from measles. 
Wow. Wow is wow. right. I mean, because here's the thing. If, if this Brady Bunch episode had been realistic, all, all six of the children get measles, right? The potential that one of them died is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially the young one. Especially the young one. Right. Exactly. It's worse for um, not Jan. Who's the little one? Cindy. Cindy. Cindy's the most Cindy likely. and Bobby. Cindy and Bobby. Those two are the ones that would have been most likely to die, um, but didn't, right? Yeah, but because I, I, don't because this I don't think it's actually measles that kills people. It's usually heart failure. Uh, you know what, though? Here's the problem with, that, with what you're saying there, Mac, is while what you're saying is technically true, right, and this is how they can get away with saying these kinds of things, AIDS has never killed anybody. It's just complications from it. Right. <laughs> they wouldn't have had those complications without the original problem. Uh, now you're we, just, got, now you're just splitting hairs. <laughs> we, we've got to remember here that this was uh, this was the '60s, and uh, sitcoms were supposed to be light and funny. Yes, and uh, they, never had they, anything really bad happen. Exactly, yeah. uh, something and, a little bit bad, but never big bad. Big bad's not good. Yeah, yeah I, they, they, they wanted everything to to wrap up in a nice and tidy little <clears> package. Everybody is happy in the end, and they're all laughing and having fun. Um, that, that's just the way sitcoms were, and uh, a lot of the time still are. Have you guys seen Too Many Cooks? Oh, too yeah, many cooks, too many cooks. <laughs> yes, I have seen that. But, yeah, the, when, the, when the Brady Bunch was coming out, when that was, when that was the show... Nothing bad happened. It all got wrapped up within within half an, hour, half, half an hour. It got wrapped up within half an hour, and everything went back to reset. Crazy! Wow! Mm-hmm. And so they're using this episode as proof. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, and uh, the thing that happened is that um, Maureen McCormick, who played Marsha, uh, found out that her image was circulating, being and being used. Uh, in support of these anti-vaccination claims, and she got mad. Uh, part of it was she said uh, she was never contacted about her use of the image on that, but I guess it's like probably public domain yeah. about now anything I don't think uh, like to. that. But uh, yeah. she she was also mad because she disapproved of the message. Um, she she herself got measles when she was young, and she said it was a terrible experience. Yeah. Oh, okay. I had the I had the freaking chicken pox in middle school, and I didn't come I didn't come close to dying, but uh, there were points when I wanted to. You had the measles? No, chicken pox. Oh, chicken pox. I had chicken pox, but I was very young. I bar- I don't remember it. Yeah, that's usually the best way to. That's the best way to have chicken pox. Yeah, I mean, I vaguely remember it. I, I don't think it was that bad. I don't, was I three or four? I was pretty young. Well, it, it gets worse the older you get. So having it in middle school is pretty miserable. Having it in as, a, as an adult is, uh, is yeah, it's, it's horrifying. I think that, I don't remember exactly, but I think that I was exposed on purpose. Um, we knew somebody who had it and we went over there. I think that they, I, I don't remember. I would have to ask my mom about that. I, my memory on that, so of course, false, but you you're, know. you're saying you were vaccinated against it. I, uh, yeah, exactly. Heresy. So, so yeah, <laughs> McCormick, the woman who played Marsha, 
uh, said very specifically, having the measles was not a fun thing. She she is saying that uh, this portrayal in uh, in the show was very misleading, uh, a very misleading representation of uh, the way measles happened. So uh, there's this um, associate professor at the University of California, Berkeley, Elena Konis, um, who specializes in medical his- history, uh, had this to say. <clears throat> In 1969, we had less control over infectious diseases. Smallpox was still a reality. There were far more cases of, of polio. In that, content, in, in that context, it made sense to think of measles as a lesser threat. Hmm. Okay. I don't know, but I was scared of it, and I didn't get any except for whooping cough. <laughs> so I was vaccinated against these. So I, I never... Same here. Any, so measles, you know... Yeah, I've been vaccinated. Yeah, chick, the chickenpox vaccination came, has come out since I was young, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know when that came out, but they didn't have that when I, when you know, when I was younger. Wow, it's it's amazing. I mean, with as deadly as this disease is, um, whether you die from you know measles or the complications that you know or that around it, you don't want this. No, no I mean, like uh, de- deaths from deaths from measles are fairly rare, but they still happen. They were, and, they are, uh, well, they're if rare we can now. Prevent, if we can prevent that from happening, yeah. uh, then um, yeah, the, there, there's a lot less risk in taking a vaccine than in catching the measles. Yes, far less. Yeah, exactly. That that and that's I think people forget, right? It, the the risk trade off. Um, well, and when you say deaths from measles are fairly rare now, deaths from measles are fairly rare now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. because we have better ideas of how to treat and support the person while they are sick with the measles. And if, if it becomes an extreme case, we can take that, we can take that kid with the measles to the hospital and give them a better fighting shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause medicine's improved, right? Yeah. Measles should have been eradicated. It should be gone and it could have been gone. It was gone in, in the United States for a long time. And now, mm-hmm. and now it's coming back. <laughs> even even so much that Donald Trump had to finally say people need to get their vaccinations, right? And, and you remember him, you know, he was he was a hair away from an anti-vaxer during his campaign, and and so and now he's saying people need to get their vaccinations. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's 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 really becoming. It's, it's a not huge like problem. Donald Trump really you know understands or believes most of the things he says anyway. He's just throwing stuff out there. He's the Dunning Kruger president. Mm-hmm. Well, smallpox was it smallpox in the 1700s? It had been used in war. Yeah, specifically to give other people smallpox. Yeah, I and mean, in the 1800s. From, and in the 1800s. Yeah, in the 19s. I mean, it's a simple case that people are more capable of going pretty much what pretty close to wherever they want in the world and going so many different places there are chances of getting diseases there always are and to say you shouldn't have vaccination when you're going across the world to another country which has these specific diseases which people do catch yet you don't have it in your country but you don't get vaccinated and come back like that uh, those people I want to smack because um, <laughs> you're yeah. in just one question real quick. Do you mean across the world or do you mean around the world? <laughs> There's a cross in the world somewhere. Yeah. 
Right, but are you round earth or flat earth? Round. <gasps> We're getting that. That's because that's where my head goes, round and round and round <laughs> and round. So it's got to be the world. Hey, I want you guys to understand that I can now claim the physique of a Norse god. Ooh. As long as, I'm not too the... long as I'm not too specific on the god. All right. I Let's... see. Is there anything more on Dumbass? Uh, the the Norse god of gluttony? What's... <laughs> You haven't seen the movie, Dumbass. Ah, there. Are you talking about Endgame? Is there a Norse god in? Yes, there is. Several. No. All right. No. Spoiler. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Are we, oh we're... yes, and uh, Netflix does have the. Uh, oh, they still have it. One we want to see? Yeah, it Infinity? still has on okay. Avengers: Infinity War, at least Canadian. All right. So we can watch that. Study shows no effect of eating placenta on postpartum depression. Which I think we've yes. covered this before, but this is a new study. This is a new study. Um, okay. Before, um, most of what we could say was there's no evidence that it helps at all, and there's no reason to really think that it helps in spite of all the hype and stuff of uh, people just uh, throwing out a lot of conjecture that uh, eating your placenta after you give birth will help reduce postpartum depression. So basically, yeah, animals do it, so we should too. That, that was actually, the basic thing, yeah. Actually, I can see a really good reason why eating placenta will will reduce postpartum depression. A couple of really good reasons. It's you know it's full of those pregnancy hormones, and also if you eat your placenta after you give birth, you can guarantee that nothing worse will happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 because uh, those pregnancy hormones served you so well when you were actually pregnant <laughs> they, they, made your moves, they, they, they made your pregnancy mood so level I don't, I don't understand why you don't just eat the baby then <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh, what do you think they what do you think they make baby aspirin out of oh uh, oh i, I believe we covered skits. yeah I believe we covered this before in uh, in a segment about a company that was actually offering to take your placenta and make them into pills for you to yeah, take. Yeah, they were, they were drying it, grinding it up, and putting it in pills. And people were getting sick, mm -hmm. very sick. Sepsis, all sorts of stuff, right? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Quite dangerous. Now, this is, uh, this is a new study out of British Columbia. Uh, this is the BC Mental Health and Substance Use Service. <laughs> Followed 138 women with a history of mood disorders for a decade, found no di differences in depression, vitamin B12 levels, uh, energy, or ease of breastfeeding between mothers who'd eaten placenta and those who didn't. So uh, This was published I in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology Canada. So here's the thing I, I don't understand um, right offhand. Is, so the women that they were following already had did they already have depression? History of mood uh, they, disorders. They, they already had a history of uh, of depression, yes. Okay, the problem that I have is that postpartum and depression... Mood yeah, postpartum depression strikes women who have never had any sort of mood disorder, right? I, I mean, it, it, can, it, it, it can strike anyone, and we don't exactly know who, who, it, who it might be affecting and who it wouldn't. Isn't that true? And are we saying um, that... I, I, I imagine the maybe the um, 
the the thought behind that was that uh, such women were more likely to experience postpartum depression. And, I don't but uh, is that true? know the actual numbers. Yeah, that, that's but what they I'd don't like to know. know. If you already have a history yes. of mood disorders, are you more susceptible to postpartum depression than people who have none at all? Because if if it's a chemical imbalance, and maybe it's not, I, I think um, for some women it is, you know, that, that change in chemicals that creates this, I, I guess I, I don't know what creates it. I, I'm, I'm totally speaking on my ass because I, I don't understand what causes postpartum depression. And I imagine that it's not a simple question that there's probably multiple different reasons. But I'm still curious if it strikes people in, in higher numbers if they already had a mood disorder. Now, intuitively, I would say, yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know what, the, what, um, what statistically if that's true is what I'm getting at. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's statistically true or not. Yeah. Either. Mm. But certainly that's the best. I, I, uh, I haven't read the actual paper to okay. see their, uh, their, if they talk about that in any way at all. Um, they, they might, they might have it in there. And 138 um, but, uh, women is the, a very small sample size. Right. The, the gist of it is they were not able to find any kind of significant difference in postpartum depression among these women. Um, which, uh, adds, uh, uh, adds evidence, uh, to the case that there probably isn't any effect of eating your placenta on your, uh, postpartum depression or, uh, anything like vitamin B12 levels or anything like that. I guess the other thing I would want to know is how the placenta was prepared for these women that, that ate the placenta. Because, um, I guess you could argue that the preparation could ruin the hormones or something like that and, and cause it to be ineffective. And you have to make sure you have the proper wine, like Chianti. <laughs> I, I, I'm left and with a I'm lot of up. questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's okay. another one that Mac is, <clears throat> Mac is disappointed that he didn't get to first. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you you got me on that one. <laughs> no, but I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm happy with myself for I, getting one. <laughs> I'm left with a with a whole array of questions here. I mean, because clearly they had to make the placenta safe to eat. I, I hope, I assume. Um, but they, let's see. Victuals has reported cases of of infants getting hospitalized because of bacteria infections linked to placenta pills. We we've talked about that before. So the yes, uh, that, that's another thing that needs to be uh, sent out there. It's not just a risk to the mother. You get an bacterial infection that can uh, pass on to your baby through your breast milk. Right. So how that's what true. did they do before they ate this placenta? For the, and they were doing it for the study, I assume. In in uh, of these hundred thirty eight women, did, how many of them ate the placenta and how many didn't? Is that in here? That's not in this article. Okay, so um, that's something we want to know, what their, what their sample sizes uh, look like. I think there's a link to the uh, study itself. I can open that up here. Okay. I've got what may be a really stupid question. How can you tell if somebody has a tendency toward depression already? How can you tell the difference between their normal depression and postpartum depression? Here, this is inter. I, I, that, well, that's see that I'm getting at that too. I, I, you know, but here's here when I linked in the study, and this is what J J O G C Journal of Obstetricians and Gynecologists Canada. They they say, um, let's see, a matched <coughs> cohort study of postpartum. I can't read that word. <laughs> 
I need nice. Mac. I, I need Mac. Postpartum plasticity. Oh God, Pla- placentophagia. Fishy in Okay, in a history of women, no evidence for impact of mood, energy, V12, vitamin 12. Okay, so 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 they were looking for for so they were looking for several things. No evidence of impact of mood, energy, or B12 levels or lactation. So all those things were what were supposed to be covered by this study. And I don't I don't know I I would it seems like a lot of things to be looking for in one study, too. I don't like that. A little bit of too much. I don't think they really gather exactly what postpartum, and most anyone really doesn't know the exacts of postpartum I mean, I guess, depression. I guess they, some of these, how do, you, how do you measure energy? B12, I think that's just a blood test. Yeah. Lactation? Lactation varies so much from woman to woman. That's a tough yes, one. Yes, that's a tough one. I and, guess you'd have uh, to do a statistical analysis on yeah. that. Plus, there could be analysis of the uh, soreness of the breasts as well, because some women don't get really sore when the baby drinks, and other women do. Uh, big differences. But also, the the chemicals rapidly drop. Yeah, and so, then, the it's a rapid drop of hormones after delivery. And, and so, they, what hormones are they? Yeah, that's another question. And the other question I have is, we have 138 women with 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 that have been diagnosed with a mood disorder. Did they ha- did they compare this against the control of women with no mood disorders? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I'm left with a lot of questions about this study. Mm. And the thing about uh, the placenta, yes, animals do eat the placenta to regain um, regain what they have lost because you do lose a lot. Uh, after pregnancy, I mean, there's a lot that just right out of you. Uh, but also, they eat it in order to make sure that any other animal which is going to predate on them right. is not able to find it so easily. Yeah, I don't. So, Dumas, you you've read the whole thing, uh, did you? And maybe not the the link here. H- how did you feel about the study when you were done when you were done reading this article? Uh, I did feel like it was a small sample okay. size. I would say, though, like uh, uh, there, there are probably things you could uh, criticize about it, but, but um, if uh, if eating the placenta has uh, such a dramatic effect as the people who uh, make these claims for it say that it has, then it probably should have uh, shown up somehow in uh, this kind of study, I think. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to be pro-placenta eating here. My question is, People who are going to criticize this study, what are they going to pick apart? Where are they going to attack mm-hmm. it to, to, to show that you know that that their placenta eating is is actually helpful? We don't even know what they were looking at to bring bring about yeah. bring through the study. I mean, well, the thing is, uh, the, 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 there are there there is no evidence for placenta right. eating yeah. as, as a way of uh, uh, helping mothers in any way at all. That. It's all just stuff they pulled straight out of their ass. Uh, at least here we've got uh, some scientific research, right? Well, I think it came out of the Actually, vagina. The, the ass is not where the placenta is. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of on the other side there where Dorothy's cat got chopped. Fine, fine. Yeah. Front door, not the back. <laughs> fine. They pulled it out of their vaginas, whatever. Yep. There we go. All right. 
There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. Let's see. Oh man. Okay, we got you've got a bunch of. Yeah. Should we move on yeah, to let, your let, stuff? Can uh, we please, let, let's move on to my stuff because I because so okay so I watched the um, documentary behind the curve um, this last week and I and I've watched it. I didn't quite get all the way through it the second time uh, just because of a time thing. I was so I watched this documentary and 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 I was I, I had put it off for for a little while because I was I was dreading. Because I was afraid that this that this documentary was going to go one of two ways. That either it was going to be a pro-Flat Earther documentary and I was going to spend the whole time smashing my face, um, you know, face palming, or it was going to be just a kicking of Flat Earthers and I was still going to sit around going, oh, fuck, I don't feel good about myself. <laughs> and it was neither of those. Well, kind of kind of the reason that I've been dreading watching it myself. Sure. Um, the documentary, so it focuses on, um, a few characters from the Flat Earth movement, if you'll give me some latitude to say such. Um, and the main one is Mark Sargent. He is very, very prominent in here. He's one of the, um, he's one of the people that is, is very much at the, um, the, the front of the movement right now. Um, it, the other people that they cover are, are probably less so. Patricia Steers is also uh, covered pretty prominently, but she's not covered as an expert so much as, I mean, she's very much pro flat Earth, but she is kind of this. I don't know. This is I want to say sidekick, but she she spent a lot of time with Mark Sargent, and they've done a lot of interviews, and so you know that that. I think very much colored her perspective of the whole thing. Um, the other one, the, there's some other people that are very uh, important. Bob Knowles, um, Nodell, no, I'm sorry, Nodell, K N O D E L, and he's a he is what they call the engineer, um, and he's important because he is one of the ones that is doing some testing on flat Earth, and so he's pretty important. But you know, I'm just kind of thinking. So the, I mean, here's the thing. This is a tough one because how do you know the Earth is round? If, if I'm if I if I'm a you know flat earther, right, and I ask you how do you know the Earth is round, what are you going to tell me? Oh, well, well, there are I, a number of ways. Okay, how? I, um, well, uh, the way uh, a ship uh, disappears over the horizon. Okay. Uh, it uh, you know the the way it disappears a little at the t- at a time, uh, starting from the bottom going up. Here, I think uh, here. So yeah, so so the ship disappearing, and I haven't heard um, their their. Um, I haven't heard them counter that one, but that that's one of the ones that that's how we know ship. Well, you know, dumbass has got a good point because if a ship disappears on a flat Earth, it disappears a lot more suddenly. Okay, they, they're claiming that doesn't happen. When you talk to Mark Sargent, he he's looking over a body of water and saying, "If the Earth was curved, I wouldn't even be able to see that." So, but so there's an issue of scale too, right? At what's the distance? Well, no, stuff starts no, to disappear. No, if we live on a if we live on a flat Earth, it would have to have edges, and and ships would disappear suddenly over those edges. Is okay. my contention. So that's that's one of my things. Is if somebody wants to prove to me that the Earth is flat, and they're claiming that there's an ice dome around it. It's like, number one, where the fuck did you come up with that? And what's the evidence for it? Because nobody has a picture, right? And 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 it is part of their model for the flat Earth, um, and and they don't seem to have it. But, But so, I mean, so those things, I think that they have rebuttals for many of the questions that that we're coming up with and that doesn't mean so that they're good rebuttals is the sun is the sun inside the ice dome no the the, the ice dome goes around the edge 
right? And that's awesome. what, and okay. then there's a dome over us, right? So so there's an ice wall around <clears throat> us, you know, like Game of Thrones style. Oh, right. Keep out the walkers. Well, hey, yes. I have a very easy way to deal with anyone who is into the, you know, flat Earth bit. Okay. I just hand my husband over. Going here, talk to him. <laughs> right, give it to somebody else. I, I think you guys yeah, may have just come upon. I do think you guys may have just come across come upon the the origin of the ice dome, though. Did that happen after Game of Thrones? I think it's before Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Was this um, weekend the last one of Game of Thrones? Uh, I don't know. I need, I, I need. I need. So here's here's the thing: is I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I'm I, I'm comfortable explaining why I feel that the Earth is round because it's not something that I've spent a lot of time explaining. And well, I mean, the the biggest uh, source of evidence is the pictures of the round Earth, of course. Right. Uh, as soon as you say that, they'll be like, "Oh, they're all faked." And what can you say to that? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, so physicist, what is her name? And, and I'm probably going to mess it up. I apologize right from the beginning here. Um, let me see. My notes are my notes are all over the place because. Um, so Ryan, uh, your voice is going in and out. I'm sorry. Does, is anybody else hearing that? It's because yeah, I'm not, it's because I'm moving away from the mic. I'm sorry. It's 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 a it's a physical problem. Um, I I cannot pronounce her name. Hanalor. She's a she's huh? a, uh yeah she's uh, uh girling. She's an astrophysicist from Caltech. And what and one of the things that she says she says you cannot believe in the flat Earth without believing a huge conspiracy and. That's one of the one of the common themes going through this is that every single flat earther that they interviewed, um, I don't know that it's every one of them, but I'm going to say every flat earther that they interviewed, very much was into conspiracies. Every single one of them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, all these conspiracies that they, they believe a lot of conspiracies. They're they're very a lot. Many of them are anti-vaxxers. Um, they're anti-GMO. They're you know all these things. Uh, you 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 line up the conspiracies. And and there you got it. And in even in Mark Sargent, you know, he he when you, when he's talking about how he got into it, he's talking about well, you know, I you know you have your bookshelf and you and you have all these books on conspiracy theories and everything, and you get you go through all of them and you get the final one of them. It's a flat Earth, which is the you know which you feel like is the most ridiculous of all of the all the conspiracy theories. And it's like you know if it was called how to make a poop sandwich. You know, volume three, you know, th- so, but it got to it and I, you know, I started reading it. And so, so it was like the last conspiracy theory for him. And he starts going through it and putting it all together. And, and that's where, and, you know, of course, the problem is I, I really feel like they're going wrong, you know, with their science, but they, but the, pro- the, we, there's a very definite problem that these people who believe in the flat earth model are called crazy. They are, um, you know, they don't. They aren't talked to. They're they're talked down to. Um, there was another physicist. Uh, no, he was no. He might have been a psychologist. Um, and one of the things that he said, he says, no, uh, he he said uh, when he looks at the flat Earth that he and he's looking at the problem. He says the problem is not the flat Earthers. The problem is on the scientist side. The, the problem is on the side of science. They aren't engaging, and they're just looking down on these people. And so, what has mm. what has happened is that you you create this insular the insular group, right? And so they start to congregate um, around this idea. Um, 
and they, so they all uh, so you know they they go to these places where it's safe to to talk about the fact that they're flat earthers because if they say it anywhere else you know they they're called crazy they're looked down on they're called stupid and uh there's there's another physicist where he he got up and he was doing a talk um and he, <coughs> one of the things he he said was every flat earther is a, is um is a missed opportunity science scientist that they, you've missed your opportunity to, to have a scientist and it's because the the engagement isn't there um you know, you know that, that, there. that's kind of interesting too because uh there there's been a view uh among uh like in the skeptical community uh past a little while too that um uh that actually debating with these people especially in an official context just lends credibility to them as being somebody worth debating and that what we need to do is just not engage them. Okay, but the problem is, is that they're using it as evidence for their side. They're, what they're saying is that Flat Earth is, is not only winning, it's destroying, it's crushing. Yeah, Mark, Mark Sargent specifically said that they are they're crushing science – Right, they, they so much that the scientists don't want to engage because their ideas are so good. Right, scientists don't want to engage with them. That's the well, and so they know, created and, a narrative. And, and my point here, the point that I was going to make is that it's it's it a, a flat earther is a failed scientist. Imagine all that energy put towards science instead of conspiracy. He did not say failed it, scientist. He said lost scientist, that we lost okay, the lost. scientists. All right, right? A, a lost, okay, a lost opportunity for science. Right. But imagine all that all that effort and all that willpower that is required to believe something that's kind of out there and imagine that put to a more uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to say a more useful use. That's what he's saying. That that is exactly what what um, his name is. Uh, Lamar Glover is saying. Physicist. Uh, Cal so, State. So, so when you say that uh, their their points are so good, uh, what you mean is that like they they seem reasonable on a first glance. Well, here's the thing. Is that what here, here's the let me see if I can quote Mark Sargent uh, directly here. Um, Mark Sargent. Let's see. I wish I had my next one. Basically, he's saying that they're winning and that the scientists don't even want to engage them. Let's see. Flat Earth. Oh, Flat Earth is winning. Flat Earth is is winning. We are crushing them, Mark Sargent. They don't even want to get in the ring because we have uh, questions they can't answer. That's because you know, there, are, there, there are lots of YouTube videos out there that uh, debunk a lot of flattered stuff. Yeah, there are. And I haven't watched a lot of them, but I, I would say that there's a theme in many of them that, you know, they're debunking morons. And and well, uh, the the kind the kind of sneering, condescending attitude towards your opponent. Yeah, I, I kind of don't agree with that myself. Right. And that's that is what that that's is a lot the, of the reaction problem. a lot of people have towards right. them. But here's the thing is that so if I mean there's there's a lot of things that that they they don't spend a lot of time debunking their positions in the documentary. They were much more interested in the psychology of why they believe these things. They let them speak, right? They they didn't mm -hmm. they didn't try to censor them. There was there was one person that they did not speak to um, because and he he what 
he once was the um, the main flat earther guy, uh, Matt Boyland, or AKA Math Powerland. Um, he said, "I'm the I'm the reason John uh, that uh, Edward Snowden spoke up." Is what he claims. I don't, I don't know why he <laughs> claims that, but he's that's what he says. Um, and then he said, he said, uh, uh, Mark Sargent said about him, Matt wanted to be the king of flat earth. So he apparently at one point, you know, the, the only person who, wa, who who could get a hold of of Matt was um, was Mark Sargent. And Mark Sargent, you know, they they wanted him to appear on um, one of these late night shows, and he called him and asked him to do it, and he wouldn't do it. And so they said, "Well, do you want to do it?" And he said, "Sure." And so he went and do it. And Mark Sargent claims that you know Matt Matt just exploded with anger, and they did. And the documentary people contacted him, and he said, "Well, I want five thousand dollars up front. I want twelve percent of the of any profits." And he had all these demands. And basically, they, they said that the documentarians <coughs> could not um, could, could not meet his demands, so he wouldn't appear in the film. Yeah, it's his own fault, right? And so he's he's going around. He 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 says Mark Sargent is, isn't Mark Sargent. He it's Warner Brothers. He claims that he's an executive of Warner Brothers, and basically he's coming to to take over. You know to you know to he to become the face of it and to take over from Matt. What, what's really interesting is that so you have all these conspiracy theorists. And then you have other conspiracy theorists that have conspiracies about the conspiracy theorists. Um, in particular, they, they really like to pick on Patricia Steers. So much so that I, I, I feel sorry for the woman. I mean, they really have uh, uh, these, this other gr- you know, camp has really attacked her. You know, basically saying that she, you know, she's there just to lure men into, you know, into flat earth and all of this. And the, the, and, sh- and it, but what's funny about it is that she, she says that she can't debunk what they're saying, you know, because there's no evidence for it, which is, you know, the, one of the problems with the conspiracy theories. A lot of things that, that we're saying about the conspiracy theories are what she's saying about the conspiracy theories about her. It's this weird circular thing, right, that that they don't seem to see that, that what people are saying about the conspiracy theories, you know, it's the same thing that they're saying about conspiracy theories yeah. that they don't like. It's it's so it's so weird um to and, just and watch no it happen. Self awareness there at all. I didn't I didn't uh, get the feeling that there was. Maybe to some degree um there was, but it was definitely going on. They they go through and and they spend a lot of time pointing out, you know, the the psychologists do about the Dunning Kruger effect, um the imposter syndrome and they they talk about all these different effects. And I think imposter syndrome is when when you actually have a lot of information, and then you feel like you can't be an expert because you know so much that you know how much you don't know is kind of the idea mm-hmm. there. Where the Dunning-Kruger effect is where you have very little information and you think you know a lot. It's kind of the opposite. Um, those ones are kind of opposites. They, they talk about scientism, right? That, so basically all these, you know, all these people who disagree with them are just – it's just scientism. And, and it's funny because I, I get painted with this brush from uh, a woman that I work with. She says that about me when we're talking about religion, right? Mm. When she can't de- refute what I'm saying when I'm asking for evidence, well, that's just scientism, right? Well, um, my problem with the whole flat earth thing is that nobody has yet shown me a convincing picture of the turtle. <laughs> right. The great at you in. So I, I don't know. I mean, basically, it, they, were, they were extremely kind 
to, to the flat earthers and i don't think that they did the purpose of this was not to bash any of them it was really just to talk about the community and the main thing that that it came down to in the end was that it's the 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 way that how insular they become and one of the problems is like if they if they go leave the flat earth community and they go back to being you know i don't know round earthers whatever they call us they, they then we just you know we just Go ab- we just go amongst our way, right? But they lose all of those people, that community. That community is now going to reject them. And this yeah. is a huge problem. We, can't re- we cannot reject flat earthers in the same way. We, we have to be engaging to them. We have to let them come back. Listen, we, we, we've had people on this podcast, um, Jason Cordova. I, do, I still do not, based on you know the evidence that he's given us, I don't think that, I still don't think that you know we've had visitors from another planet here, right? But that doesn't mean that we can't engage with him. And we have engaged with him, right? And it's got to be the same way with Flat Earthers. We, ha- we have to be willing to engage and have these conversations. Yeah, uh, we, yeah, but we can't call we got, them morons or anything like that. Right. But when but, we yeah. got contacted by the guy with, uh, with the, uh, the, dinosaur, the Dinosaur Lawyer book, mm-hmm. you weren't real interested in talking with him at that point. Well, but I just wasn't interested. Yeah. If you were interested, you could have pursued that, but you didn't. Could have. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that was just—it was just not my particular interest, and I didn't—and I didn't feel like I had time at that point to, to to read that book. And 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 I wasn't not willing to engage with him. And in fact, I did engage with him and tried to point out where he was. One of the things that he did with us is one of the things I see with actually a lot of the flat earthers when I see them go and interview somewhere else. They spend a lot of time because they because they because they've already been not accepted. They spend a lot of time just attacking people and instead of engaging. Yeah. And we got some of that from him as well. And when we pointed it out out on it, he he changed his top, he changed his tune. And we can still go back to that if you want, right? I've still got I've still got a bit of a relationship with him on Facebook. So. Yeah. So and that's fine. I, I, just be, I mean, just because I didn't want to pursue it doesn't mean that you couldn't, you know, arrange it, right? If it's something you want to pursue, that that's fine, right? So that's that, but that's neither here nor there. I, 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 yeah, but I'm just, I'm just saying it's the same, it's the same situation as with the flat earthers, where you, and not, I'm not, I'm not pointing at you specifically. I'm saying that the the viewpoint seems kind of out there. And it's easy to immediately scoff and say, well, I know there were dinosaurs because I live with them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, 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 I literally do. Right. So, but in, in here's the thing is that it's still, the, the topic still has to be engaging to, to me to, to want to talk to these, to talk to people, right? If I'm not, if I, if, if I don't, if I'm not overly, you know, committed to, to the topic, right, then, then the, you know, but I wouldn't, you know, if, if we could have a reasonable discussion, discussion like we had with Jason Cordova with a flat earther, I think that would be interesting. Yeah, he was fun. Yeah, and and he would come back, right? Because because we did treat him well. Um, and those are the kinds of relationships that we need to have. We're not all going to agree, you know. When um, and and it's okay to disagree, right? But having the conversation, I mean, the the conversations. Is getting shut down, and these people are becoming insular. So much to, to, in fact, that they have to have their own dating sites. Flat Earthers can't date outside the community, according to Mark Sargent. That's one of the, one of the claims that he made, and I don't know it, um, that he's wrong. And interestingly enough, because of that, we're seeing we're seeing a ton of flat Earther specific dating sites. Is that are those dating sites? Are they global? Mm. <clears throat> or are they local? <laughs> 
They're all around the globe. Let's see. I had a list of them here. Um, all across our world. Let's see. Flat Earthers dating uh, dating sites. Let's see. Flat uh, Flat Earther Match. Fe Dating and Community Network. Meet Flat uh, Meet Flat Earthers. Flat Earth Singles. Flat Earth Friends. So uh, so there. It's it's really becoming. I mean, it it is a huge community. That Mark Sargent says they have millions of people. And uh, one of the articles I have in here that, unfortunately, I didn't uh, give enough scrutiny to, um, but I found it interesting. It's from uh, Live Science that millennials in particular seem to be flocking towards the flat earth, 18, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, which is interesting, right? It is 18 interesting. to 24-year-olds. I thought millennials were a little bit uh, older than that range. Are they? Okay. I think they were into the 30s, aren't they? You, you're probably right. They're, they're, they're saying millennials are confused about uh, this incontrovertible fact. So, it, I mean, I, I would like to go through and, I mean, the, the, there's an issue of, of communication that, that they cover here. But here's it. They, they go through, there's three things that the Flat Earthers claim. And they do, and they do take them to task on, on, the, on the three that were in the, on, in the um, documentary. The first one was Mark Sargent said that he um, that he went to this flight tracker and he never saw a plane go over um, the Indian Ocean or somewhere in the southern hemisphere. And immediately uh, one of one of the physicists goes and opens the flight tracker and she's like, well, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. So and the problem with the flight tracker, of course, is how, how does the flight tracker work? How do you know what you're looking at? Right. That there's there's always an issue of. Are you using the tool properly? And he was probably using the tool improperly, but it did, you know. But it, but it was a, but it was a checkpoint for him. Oh look, flat Earth because the planes are planes never go here. Um, the, then the next one, and this is probably the one that most people are talking about. In fact, in fact, it's probably the one that was in Dumbass's article, and that is the um, the ring laser uh, gyroscope. And th- this is what the, what is, what is considered to be the most accurate gyroscope, I think, on Earth. Um, in fact, I have a link to the uh, ring laser gyroscope, and, and this is the one that it costs them twenty thousand dollars to get this gyroscope. And basically, you know, the Earth rotates twenty, uh, you know, in twenty-four hours. So every hour, it should rotate fifteen degrees, and. When they set up the gyroscope up and, you know, and watched it for an hour, it came back with 15 degrees. And they went, oh, shit. Well, we know that can't be true. It must be registering the movement of the dome. Um, and so what we need to do is... We well, obviously, to- it's the Illuminati who's uh, <laughs> set up the uh, electronics in it to give them false reading. Well, it, it, it could be that, right? The tool's bad. Um, they, what did the, what did they call it? They put it in some sort of, a, and this, so spoilers. Um, I forget what the, what they put it in, but they were trying to block the heavenly energy. Their words, not centrifuge. No, no, not a centrifuge. Um, uh, hyperbaric. Oh, nope, not hyperbaric. Was it a um? No, what do you call those? Uh, Somehow I feel like we're playing charades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, what do they call those cages that uh, that Faraday block cage? out electromagnetic? Faraday. Yeah, Faraday uh, cages. Yeah. It's not. It wasn't a Faraday cage. Um, Was it a? Uh, it's a zero Gauss chamber. Ah, uh, okay. To block they the have heavenly to, energies. They have to make those out of unobtainium, I think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't. 
I think it's a real thing. I didn't look oh. up zero gas chamber, but they were trying to block it. And I imagine it's some sort of a vacuum chamber. If I, um, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe I can look it up. Hey real David, quick. have you ever heard of the zero gas chamber? Of what? Zero gas chamber. That would block magnetics based on the that fact that it is. That would block magnetics. Yeah, right. Faraday cage? Uh, Faraday yeah, cage? So, yes. No, it's not a Faraday cage because we're not blocking not RF. Faraday cage. Yeah, all right, Faraday cage blocks RF. A gas chamber would. Uh, oh, no, not actually. The gas chamber to degauss. Oh, oh yeah. So it's blocking. Yeah, it is it's blocking they magnetics. Around hard drives. For hard drives? Oh yeah, they degauss hard yeah, drives. It, He's right. That um, to erase no, data, right? Uh, it's, a mag- it's a magnetic shielding. Magnetic shielding. Yeah. So okay. So so yeah. they they were putting it. They did. They use that, and and oddly enough, what happened? It moved fifteen degrees, just like you would expect if the world was turning. And of course, at this point, they're talking about hey, confirmation bias. Go ahead and drop out. Guys. Okay. Okay. Uh, so at this point, so they, they use a zero gas chamber, and of course, now what they're talking about, the psychologists, they're talking about. Um, confirmation bias. So they already believe their world's flat. They have something that that is disproving them. So it must be that it must be what they're doing is wrong. And it's okay to you know to keep trying to make that to make it better. But when you keep getting the same outcome, and then they were going mm-hmm. to they so they they needed to put it in a bismuth chamber. And I don't know why the heck you would use bismuth. Any idea why you would use it? What you would use a bismuth chamber, chamber for? Yeah, bismuth is used to make Pepto Bismol. It's beautiful stuff. Um, it crystallizes in these beautiful formations, but I don't know why you would make a chamber out of it and what they and what they're um, hoping to accomplish. I n- I didn't understand, and that wasn't. It. I have no clue. David just so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then their last, so the last one that they were trying to do <clears throat> was basically over a, a distance, and I don't know what the distance was. They were going to set up these posts, and they were going to use a laser. And they, and they, in the laser, and then they were, so the laser would have to hit it at the same level every time. If the world was flat, then they would line up perfect, right? Problem with the laser is what happens? The light expands. And so that didn't work, right? So they had to rethink that experiment. And so they, what they decided to use is these boards and put a hole in it. And they were, that was supposed to be at the same position over this distance. And I think that they were doing it over, I don't know if it was over a lake or something. I forget what it was, but in, in the end, it would did what you would expect it to do if the Earth was curved and it hit above their hole, right? The light. So, mm-hmm. um, so all three of the experiments that they that they that they used failed um, in in the documentary, right? Um, but that's but that's kind of not what the documentary was about. The documentary was more about how we, we need to we need to have engagements with people, and we can't just call them crazy. Right, we have to you know you kind of have to engage with people where they are because you create this this insular group and now they now they can't leave the group, right? And so and because if they do, they lose all those friends because both sides have become you know kind of uh, you jaded, know, jaded, yeah. And and we would accept them back, right? But we still are gonna you know it's just, I don't know it's it's a mess and we see it in yeah, a lot and, of different uh, types of things. Yeah, like um. Uh, there, there's a, a big thing uh, these days to like just uh, not want to talk with like remove from your Facebook friends people who have like really weird views and things like that. But, you know, like uh, I, I have a friend who's a creationist and a flat earther and um, I, I still hang out with him. I go over to his place. Be, be nice to these people that they're, 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 they're 
they're good people. You like hanging out with them. You you disagree with them on something. It doesn't make uh, make them you know some, somebody that you should avoid. Right. It doesn't matter yeah. about the belief. It matters about how they treat others. Right, and that's really more kind of what I, I felt like the documentary's point was, as opposed to these people are just wrong. It was. It's more number one, we failed as scientists, you know, to get the, you know to to explain ourselves and to explain why this is the fact, and and it's confirmation bias for them that we won't engage with them, right? So they mm-hmm. oh, okay, obviously, obviously we're right, we're winning because they won't engage with us, so that's a problem. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then they feel as if they're being um, persecuted. Persecuted, yeah. That, there there go. you go. Yeah. So I put and you know lots and lots of links to different things, but I mean it it, it really came down to at some point I, I, you know, and there were people in here who who were like, listen, if the the reason that that scientists don't want to engage is because that either their ideas aren't falsifiable or they've already been falsified, and. You know, and you can't you can't argue with these people who are who are arguing for something that is unfalsifiable. And you can see his point, right? It's th- we've already had this discussion, you know, and we moved on. But these people aren't moving on, and their community is growing, mm-hmm. right? And you know, so hmm. I and we see it with religion, right? Maybe not as much, but I mean, some religions, you know, you you stop believing and you're out, right? Same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so you lose your family, but in this case, people are losing their families because they have a because they have a belief that may seem a little wacky. It doesn't make them bad people. That's the. I mean, that that's they should be treated badly because we because we disagree with you know one of their ideas. Mm-hmm. And that well, but, and so I felt like the documentary was pretty good and came across pretty well with those in regards to those things. So it's definitely, I think, worth a watch. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that the, even though I've kind of given you, you know, my opinions of it and everything that I've said, I mean, number one, I could be wrong. Maybe you'll come away with something different. Um, well, could watch it and yeah. then we could see what exactly both, yeah, all of us feel about yeah, it. But exactly. I don't think you should avoid it for the reasons that, you know, that we, that you have been. Because I don't think it's what you, what, it is certainly uh, what I thought no, it was. No, the only reason I was avoiding it is because my sister's cat went into the hospital with well, FUS, okay. so. Fair enough. Yep. But dumbass was avoiding it. Yes, I, I was avoiding it. <laughs> and, and I don't think you this should. I, I don't, I think, I think, uh, I think you're avoiding it for the wrong reasons. All right. Maybe I'll give it a shot then. Excellent. I think that's, I think, I think we've gone long enough. Yes. Yes. yes definitely so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, but we had enough stuff in the document after all. We sure did. So say goodnight, everybody. Good night, good night, everybody. Another one, one in the can. Oh, that's right. In the bismuth can. <laughs> you almost did. Say it. Yes, in the bismuth can. If you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time. You're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at amateurskeptics.com. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons share-alike, no-derivatives, 3.5 license. Intro music by Peter Canold. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraitry.